1: Back with another edition of the Cool Stuff Ride Home podcast. Reggie Rizzou and Marcus Paff with you on today's episode, the reemergence of a species previously extinct in the wild. Plus, we've always known Air Jordans were expensive, but you'll never guess where this rare pair was found. Stranger Things comes to the stage in London and This Week in History, coming up on Cool Stuff Ride Home. Well, unfortunately, many of us have become all too familiar with the designation endangered species. In some cases, animals that were abundant just 30 to 40 years ago have declined in population to the point of nearly disappearing from the wild. Well, here's a story of one animal trending in the opposite or correct direction. In Africa, the scimitar horned oryx is now classified as endangered, which sounds like a bad thing until you consider it was previously declared extinct in the wild it's the first time the international union for the conservation of nature which happens to be the world's largest conservation organization has ever moved a species on its red list from extinct in the wild to endangered. Now, per the Zoological Society of London, the scimitar-horned oryx and other desert animals, such as the dama gazelle, ostrich, and addax antelope, thrived in the African country of Chad until the late 1970s, thanks in large part to a game reserve deemed to be one of the world's largest protected areas at over 78,000 square kilometers. Unfortunately, there was an extended period of civil unrest in Chad during the 1980s, resulting in a severe decline in Oryx numbers due to excessive hunting. By the late 90s, it was widely believed the species had gone extinct in the wild as the last surviving individuals in Chad and nearby Niger died out. And since that time, the species has only existed in captivity. With over 220 zoological institutions contributing to a global captive breeding program and other collections held in the UAE as well as on ranches in Texas, the recovery of the Oryx came down to the conservation work of the aforementioned entities, all of whom kept the oryx. Oryx alive while the governments of Abu Dhabi and Chad work together on a reintroduction program. Now, at a 2012 workshop in Chad, Environment Abu Dhabi, that's the Middle East's largest environmental regulator, along with the government of Chad, the Sahara Conservation Fund, and the Zoological Society of London, they all secured the support of local landowners and nomadic herders for the reintroduction of the scimitar-horned Oryx to the reserve. Environment Abu Dhabi actually got the ball rolling on the most recent step in this project by curating captive animals from zoos and private collections all over the world with the goal of ensuring genetic diversity among the herd. In March of 2016, the first 21 animals from this world herd were released over time into a fenced-off part of the previously mentioned Chad Reserve where they could acclimate. Shortly thereafter, one female gave birth, which brought about the first oryx born in its once-native habitat in over three decades. In January of 2017, 14 additional animals were flown in and released at the reserve, and by 2022, the species was reassessed by the IUCN and determined to be endangered, but not critically endangered, with a population of between 140 and 160 individuals that was increasing not decreasing now zsl conservationist tim watcher who first worked for zsl on the scimitar horned oryx in 1985 said quote this reintroduction represents the result of decades of collaborative effort between national and international conservation organizations the government of chad EAD and local Chadian communities. It's been a privilege to play a part in returning this iconic species to its original homeland, releasing these animals back into their native arid grassland landscape after more than two decades of absence was an emotional moment for all involved, end quote. Reggie, you you hear a story like this, it's a feel-good piece. I don't know that a lot of us really sit and think about the ramifications of something like this, but Certainly when you remove a species from any ecosystem, it's going to have unintended consequences. And in many cases, you know, those could be quite severe. So I think it's pretty darn cool to see what the world can do. And I say the world because of the number of different organizations that were involved in this project for the last 40 years, essentially, to get this done and to restore something that really never should have gone away.
2: It's actually quite amazing to see how quickly that population has increased as well. I mean, there are like rabbits out there just, you know, producing (laughs) babies like crazy. Well, I I think the
1: conservationists of the world would take it if they could uh, churn out like rabbits do, uh, more of the oryx, but it's, uh, you know, frankly, like I said, to start this, a bit of a, a feel good piece to see what a number of parties working together can accomplish. So good on them and, you know, maybe
2: we can do this again for some other species down the road that are endangered right now. So it's unclear exactly how it happened, but an Oregon shelter received a pair of gold Air Jordan 3 sneakers commissioned by Spike Lee. They are valued at more than $10,000, according to Sotheby's Auction House. Now the sneakers were found at the bottom of a donation bin operated by the Portland Rescue Shelter when they were going through their donations for the year. The designer of the shoes, Tinker Hatfield, stopped by to examine the shoes and confirmed they were a pair of his Air Jordan 3 sneakers that were commissioned by Spike Lee that he wore to the Academy Awards in 2019. Before he left, he also gave the shelter a replacement box for the shoes and a signed design proof certificate that he framed. So the bees will be auctioning off the shoes and 100% of the money brought in will go to the Portland Rescue Mission. They're valued at $10,000, but they expect that they could sell up to $20,000. Bidding starts on December 18th. The first pair of Nike Air Jordans, to get a little history here, went on sale on April 1st, 1985. They were designed by Peter Moore, Tinker Hatfield, who created those Air Jordan 3 sneakers, and Bruce Kilgore. The famous Jordan logo of him jumping and dunking the ball Came from a photograph by Jacobus Rentmeester. The picture was taken before Jordan played for Team USA in the 1984 Olympics. Rentmeester sued Nike in January of 2015, saying that they copied the photograph that he granted them temporary permission to use. The case was dismissed in June of 2015. In 1984, any guesses on how much money Jordan made from this lucrative deal,
1: Marcus? I have heard this before, Reggie, so I'm going to withdraw myself from guessing, okay. but
2: let's just say it's a lot of, a lot of money jordan's original deal that he signed was only five years and he made 2.5 million dollars on it so you look at some of the sponsors nowadays that's not a lot if you look at it that however i'll get to more of the details of what he's making now on it in just a second but sales of that shoe for the first year came to 126 million dollars so they definitely made their money back on that although they did have to pay some nba fines because the shoes violated the nba's policy for colors. That led to a $5,000 per-game fine, which Nike paid for, and they had a little fun with. They kind of did a campaign around that as well to draw attention to the shoes. Well, it was in 1997 when Jordan and Nike introduced that Jordan brand. Last year, that brought in $5.1 billion dollars. It was reported that Jordan earned somewhere between 150 million to 256 million as part of that deal. So, uh let's just say he's doing pretty well just having his name on shoes.
1: Uh yeah, and he's making that in perpetuity, Reggie, like year yes. after year, he makes money doing nothing at this point, which is absolutely insane. Did you I mean, have a chance to watch the movie Air?
2: I haven't watched the movie yet. Uh it's on my list of things. It's one of those movies where I know I'm going to enjoy but it's hard for me to get incentivized to sit down and watch it for me. This was one that I said, I
1: have to watch this right away. This is this just I don't know. It appealed to me on so many levels. And the funny thing is, it's really not about Michael Jordan so much as it is about the folks at Nike and the shoe itself, the individual who played Michael Jordan is only in it for a brief period of time. Of course, his parents play an integral role. I would say this for anybody who hasn't seen it, including yourself, Reg, go check it out because it really is a fascinating watch. And like any movie that's based on something that actually happened, of course, you'll come away and say, all right, how much of this was quote unquote, enhanced or made to be a little bit more dramatic than what really took place. But you know, from the things that I have read, it sounds like it's at least relatively true to form and, and, uh, paints a pretty good picture of how this came to be. And frankly, it's pretty wild. Persistence pays off, I guess.
2: So for those air Jordan threes that are on sale, though, are you putting in a bid?
1: Well, you know how much I make off this podcast, Reggie. So, of course, I will place a bid that will immediately be outbid by, I'm sure, several
2: hundred thousand dollars because I might come in at about ten bucks, unfortunately. Another question. I asked this before when we had our whiskey story that went on sale. Say you buy the shoes for $20,000. Do you wear them? No. No, you can't can't do that. What What if you're on a date and it's like the perfect girl and you're trying to impress her?
1: Well, first of all, what girl, I I shouldn't say what girl, that's being oversimplifying this, but I get the feeling that a lot of girls probably don't care or aren't going to know that that's a $20,000 shoe and that Spike Lee wore it in 2019. Right? I mean, there's a lot of people
2: in general that aren't going to know that. Very true. But what if you are, you're a sneaker person, you're obviously a sneaker person, if you're buying these shoes and you're on a date with another sneaker person, you might just be a collector. See, I was trying to think of any reason that would make it. So you want to wear these shoes, maybe a job interview at Nike you wear the shoes.
1: (laughs) Okay. All right. That I could get behind. That I could get behind if you're going into Nike. I just like the risk of getting them dirty. This is the thing you put in a case and you display it somewhere. The whiskey, on the other hand, that you referenced that we talked about several weeks ago on this show. I just, I don't think most people are going to be impressed to come over and see your whiskey there and going, oh, but you're never going to drink it. Whereas the shoes, even if you don't wear them, I think it's it's kind of like hanging a signed jersey or another piece of sports memorabilia in your office. It's just cool to look
2: at. I would challenge the person to a game for the sneakers. Tell oh, you what. One-on-one? One-on-one. I would lose, but I would have to challenge. I was
1: going to so. say, I didn't know you were <laughs>
2: such a baller. All right. <laughs> I, you know, I can score a bucket every now and then.
1: <laughs> I don't think that'll get you the shoes, Reg, a bucket every now and then.
0: In Puerto Rico We call ourselves Boricua We are proud, passionate And full of life On our island Adventure finds you Strangers Aren't strangers for long The size of the audience Doesn't change the beauty of the music And we celebrate Every last ray of sun Live Boricua
1: The world of Stranger Things came to life Thursday in London, fortunately not in the way you might think. No, there were no monsters from the Upside Down terrorizing the streets. But instead, the enchanting realm of Hawkins, Indiana was brought to the stage as Netflix unveiled a theatrical production inspired by its popular sci-fi series, this per eight Reuters report. Dubbed Stranger Things, The First Shadow, the play unfolds in 1959, a full two decades before the events depicted in the TV series. The theatrical endeavor was put together by Matt and Ross Duffer, the siblings behind the original series. Now, Within the play, Jim Hopper and Joyce Maldonado, the adult characters played by David Harbour and Winona Ryder in the TV series, are reimagined as high school classmates navigating typical teenage concerns until their world takes a turn. With the arrival of a new student during the London premiere on the West End, Matt Duffer shared insights, saying, "quote It sheds a lot of light on both the backstory of all our characters and also starts to give some hints on where we are heading in the final season of the show." End quote. Stranger Things made its Netflix debut back in 2016. Wow, it's been a long time now, and quickly it became the platform's most watched English language series. If you're not familiar, the storyline follows a group of teenagers grappling with supernatural phenomenon in the fictional town of Hawkins, set against the quintessential 80s backdrop. The fifth and final season of the series faced delays due to two Hollywood strikes this year, but Matt Duffer revealed production is scheduled to resume in January for what is expected to be a year-long shoot. Speaking about the upcoming season, he remarked, quote, it's a huge season, it's massive, there are a lot of expectations, but you take it one day at a time, it's going to be challenging but super rewarding, end quote. Netflix is actively working to to transform Stranger Things into a lasting franchise alongside the Stage Play referenced here the company has greenlit an animated spin-off series Reggie the obvious question coming out of this are you a Stranger Things watcher and or fan
2: I have watched it. I didn't watch the first season immediately. I was convinced into watching it. And now, yeah, I I watch it. I'm a fan.
1: I have to admit, I was attracted to it immediately because of the 80s backdrop. It just, it reminded me too much of growing up, quite frankly. So I really loved the first season as obviously a lot of people around the world did. And I've enjoyed it throughout, but I, I still think that first season was probably the best. So we'll be anxious to see what they have in store for the fifth and final season. And you know what, frankly, if I get to London, I'd probably be tempted to go check out this play, too.
2: I don't know, but by the time the fifth and final season comes out, those kids are going to be like 30 years old. (laughs) They've got their PhD (laughs) in psychic phenomenon or,
1: I don't know, parapsychology.
2: They might even be older. Who knows? They may be going there in wheelchairs and having their caretakers to help them with the monsters instead. Well, I mean, if
1: that's the case, those kids are still younger than us, Reggie, so we're not watching the final season If that's yes, how old yeah, they are
2: <laughs> taking a look at this day in history it was 1939 today that gone with the wind premiered in atlanta if you're somehow unfamiliar with the movie it is a drama directed by victor fleming starring clark gable and vivian lee it won best picture in 1940 and it brought in 945 thousand dollars during the opening weekend And that's not taking into account inflation. That's a lot of money that was brought in in 1939. Overall, domestically in the box office, it brought in $198 million. Globally, 192 million, when you combine those, it brought in $390 million. Total earned, once you take into account inflation, $4.2 billion. That makes it the highest grossing film of all time. Followed by Avatar at $3.8 billion. Then number three, Titanic, about $3.5 billion. Star Wars at $3.4 billion. Uh, Avengers Endgame comes in at number five, around 3.1 billion, followed by Sound of Music at around 2.9, E.T. around 2.8, Ten Commandments came in around 2.6 billion, Dr. Shivago at 2.5 million, and Star Wars The Force Awakens comes in just below Dr. Zhivago, close to 2.5 billion as well. Gone with the Wind was adapted from the 1936 novel by Margaret Mitchell. Filming ended up being delayed for two years because they wanted to have Gable as the role of Rhett. Well, for Scarlet, it took 1,400 unknown women auditioning for the part before they assigned that role. The screenplay went through several revisions as they tried to reduce the length of the movie, which is saying something since the movie is still three hours and 58 minutes. Several directors were also part of the film. George Cuker was fired shortly after filming started in January of 1939. They brought in Victor Fleming, but he was briefly replaced by Sam Wood due to exhaustion. Filming concluded in July of 1939, post-production wrapped in November, just a month before the film was released. Now talk about a premiere, this one had 300,000 people attending the premiere. The mayor of Atlanta, William Hatsfield set up three days of activities for the event that included a parade of limousines, receptions, thousands of Confederate flags, and a costume ball. The governor of Georgia declared December 15th a state holiday for the premiere. The director, Fleming, did not attend the premiere due to his falling out with the producer of the film. The black cast members were also not able to attend the film due to Jim Crow laws. Clark Gable actually was going to boycott the movie, except for Hattie McDowell, Convinced him to attend. Later in life, former President Jimmy Carter said the premiere was the biggest event to happen in the South in his lifetime. The movie cleaned up at the Academy Awards as well. Outstanding production, they won. Best director, they won. Best actor, they were nominated. Best actress, they won. Best supporting actress, they had two nominations, with Hattie McDaniel winning one of those nominations. Best screenplay, they won. Best art direction, best cinematography for color best film editing. They also won for a special award and technical achievement award. They were nominated for best original score, best sound recording, and best visual effects. As for ownership of the movie, the producer of the movie decided to sell it for tax reasons. He sold it to his partner for $500,000, who in turn sold it to MGM for $2.8 million. So that was a good business move for his partner. MGM re-released the film in 1942, 1947 1954 54 was the first time they did it in widescreen they also released it in 1961 to commemorate the centennial anniversary of the start of the civil war Uh, it was released in 67 and in 71 74 89 and then in 1989 it was released as well the last time it was released in theaters i believe was 1998 and i i know what you're probably thinking here marcus i've read all this and you're probably thinking Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn.
1: Oh, you nailed it!
2: I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I know that line. I have never
1: seen Gone with the Wind. I can't say I really have any desire to see Gone with the Wind.
2: Well, and do it's you not... have four hours of your life to spare?
1: Well, I mean, that's that's certainly part of it. Because look, I, I still want to see Oppenheimer, really, really bad, and. I just haven't been able to bring myself to sit down for three hours to watch that a a a modern movie here and look i i do love movies i love movies from all eras i have spent a lot of time behind or sitting in front of a screen taking them in but this one just never did it for me and and, certainly a I guess nowadays, perhaps, some maybe a somewhat controversial backdrop when you're talking about yeah,
2: there, the Civil War. There is a lot of controversy around the film, too, based on, you know, back in the 1939, you know, a lot of this stuff wasn't even, you know, thought about twice. Now you watch some of it. There's some things you might be wondering, like, you know, cringe a little bit at. I get that. I, I honestly, I haven't seen the film either, but you have to respect those numbers, the, the amount of money that film brought in. And I don't know any film that had 300,000 people in attendance for the premiere
1: oh uh, absolutely I mean financially speaking it is uh, astounding and you're right I mean again I say all of this without having ever seen the film but whether or not you like everything that takes place in it it is still a historical feat of sorts when you talk about like you said right there the number of people in attendance for the premiere as well as the money that it brought in so definitely have to at least acknowledge that
2: Thanks for joining us on another edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. I'm Reggie Rizu, He's Marcus Path. Feel free to shoot us an email at coolstuffcommute at gmail.com with any thoughts, questions, comments, or whatever. We'll talk again soon.